need to give you some historical context to the place called Gethsemane. The place called Gethsemane is also called the place of the crushing. It's called the place of the pressing because they would take olives in Gethsemane and they would press them in order to get oil out of them. They would take the stones, if you will, in Gethsemane and press them against the olives in order to extract oil from from them. So here in Gethsemane, the place where they would press stones, here is the cornerstone who's being pressed in order for, for humanity to be blessed by what is coming out of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then the narrative goes on to say, when he got to Gethsemane, he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And he took Peter and and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell upon his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Here we are in week number three of this series, Strange Encounters, where we're looking at the strange encounters that happened in the ministry of Jesus. Certainly, if you understand the conversation that is taking place during this particular dialogue, it it can be characterized as strange. Here is Jesus going to the place of the pressing, going to the place of Gethsemane where he will face the greatest pressure that he has ever faced. He tells the disciples, you pray right here and I'm going to go over here and pray. And after he goes over there and he prays for an hour, he then goes back to where the disciples are and he finds the disciples. Any of you live with a snore? Any of you? Yeah, some of you are like, <laughs> I saw somebody, he, he, he took his wife's hand, he put it down and said, don't you be. So here they, couldn't you have just stayed up with me for an hour, Peter? And Peter's like, Peter's like, well, Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it's your fault. Because last night at the Last Supper, you gave us some of that tilapia and it was incredible. I'm just saying. So watch what happens. It says, watch and pray, couldn't you? So that you would not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Somebody say cup. Verse 43, when he came back again and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them there and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then in verse 45, he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go because here comes my betrayer. Hold on a second. 
I want to pause right there for a minute because I think we need to understand the context of what is really happening. And in order to understand the context, we need to back up some in the story. Here is Jesus at the very end of his ministry, a three and a half year ministry. Most of that time he was abandoned by his family. Now he's in the garden. He's in the place of the pressing, facing the greatest pressure that he's ever faced in life. He's crying out to his God. And when God doesn't answer, he turns to his disciples looking for emotional support and they're asleep. What we can learn from this narrative of Scripture is Jesus dealing with a pressure in Gethsemane greater than we will ever have to deal with shows us how to deal with the pressures of this world that we are living in. But again, in order to understand it, we need to back up some. Because this is a strange encounter. However, there was a strange encounter that happened prior to this that segued into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was in with the disciples at the Last Supper. He's having supper with them. He's talking about the future. He's outlining what's going to happen to them. And while he's talking to the disciples... At the Last Supper, he picks up a cup and he has communion with the disciples who are really unaware of what communion really is. And he begins to talk about the cup. Somebody say the cup. Something strange happens. Look with me in verse 26. Just back up just a few verses. Verse 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. This is the first time that the disciples are hearing this. We're sanitizing this 2,000 years later, but you know the disciples were wigged out. What's he mean? What's he mean? You know, Peter's like, what's he mean? What's he mean we're eating his body? That, that, that won't make no sense to me. Then look what happens in verse 27. Then he took a cup. Someone say the cup. The same cup that he references in verses 36 through 46 that we already talked about, he is now giving them... An explanation to something that's going to happen. He says, take the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. All of you drink from it because this is my blood. You know that's going to wig somebody out. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. He says, this is the cup. Inside of the cup, this is my blood, which is given for you. He's telling them this. They don't fully understand it, but he's trying to explain to them the cup of judgment that he's facing, the cup that he's having to endure, which will ultimately lead to his death through crucifixion for the atonement of the sins of mankind. This is the cup. Every time you drink it, remember me. This is my blood in the cup. You know when he said that, I want all of y'all to drink this blood. You know when it was pat, being passed down, they were all like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want any of that. What's he talking? I ain't drinking that. That's, that's just nasty, Jesus. I don't want to drink. What's he mean? I don't, I don't want that cup. Hold on a second. Is he saying that some of that's going to happen to us because I don't want any of that? You know that there was an awkward situation, probably some 
whispering that was happening in between the disciples because they didn't know what was going on. It had to be awkward. It had to be weird. It had to be strange. And what would they do to break the ice of of, of what was happening there? What would they do to break the silence? Well, look at verse 30. Verse 30 said, So when they had sung a hymn, they all went out to the Mount of Olives. So when it becomes a little awkward... Darren, when it becomes a little silent, when everybody's kind of weirded out in the place, and when Jesus is facing so much pressure, now the disciples realize that they're facing some stuff that they never thought that they would face. What do they do? They say, oh, well, let's just sing. Singing always makes it better. Let's just sing. And I know that I'm adding some comic relief to this, but that night there was no comedy in the place. Because they were overwhelmed, Jesus was facing the greatest pressure that he had ever faced. The disciples were facing the greatest pressure that they would ever face. But we can learn something from verse 30 that should fill up our spirits when when it comes to pressure. Because when the pressure was at its greatest, their praise was at its loudest. What would Jesus sing? What would Jesus sing? What would he sing during this this time? What would he sing? Well, we know, according to custom, that at the end of the Passover meal, they would sing a psalm from the Halil. The Halil is a group of five or six songs that are embedded in the book of Psalms. And so he would sing one of those in order to break the ice, in order to build up someone's spirit, in order to overcome the pressure that is coming against him. What would Jesus sing? Jesus would probably have sung Psalms 116 because it says, I cried out to my God and he heard my cry and he delivered me because he had delivered me before in the presence of my enemies. He lifted me up when I didn't know how to get up and he saved me and I walked before the Lord in the land of the living. He would have sung Psalms 118 where it says I cried out to my God and he heard my cry because he is good he is my song he is my salvation for the Lord shall be exalted through my lips for I will praise his holy name for the goodness of the Lord his love and his mercy endures forever and ever and ever and when the heavens were hearing the sound of the praise that Jesus was giving all hell was breaking out in his presence Jesus is showing us something could it be that praise is paramount when the pressure is on could it be that Jesus is showing us that praise is paramount when the pressure is on and we allow lesser pressure to rob our mouths of praise somebody say hello can I pause my preach in order to teach for a minute so here's Jesus with the disciples at the last supper singing now he leads them down into the garden of Gethsemane the place of the pressing the place where they crush olives by stones in order to extract the oil and now the son of God will be crushed in this place 
And we see something in verses 38 and 39 that are absolutely shocking when it comes to Jesus. Let me show you something. Verses 38 and 39, it says, it says this. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Grab this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. May this cup be taken from me. In the biblical sense, in the biblical literature, the cup represents many things. But in this case, the cup represented the judgment of God. Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the pressing, facing the greatest pressure that he's ever faced before. He falls on his face before the Lord and he cries out to God. And Matthew's gospel teaches us something. It says that he began to feel the sorrow and was troubled to the point of death. The word began in the Greek means that he saw something. When he was praying, he saw something. And the thing that he saw brought about sorrow and trouble for him. And those two words in the Greek, sorrow and trouble, means that he was horrified. So something that he saw horrified him so much so that he almost died. Luke's gospel captures this story and gives us a little more detail because Luke's gospel tells us that he almost died because it said that when what he saw troubled him and overwhelmed him so much so that he began to sweat drops of blood from his face. In other words, the capillaries in his face were beginning to burst and he was sweating blood. This is something called hemotridosis. It's where the capillaries in your face are under such stress, under such emotional problems, your body is under such emotional stress, spiritual stress, mental stress, physical stress that you begin to sweat drops of blood. But hang on for a second because is this not the Savior of the world? Is this not the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah? Is this not the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us? Is He not our Deliverer, our Redeemer, our ever-present help in a time of trouble? Is His Word not eternal where he placed the stars into the sky his word healed people his word cast demons out his word brought people back from the dead but here is the word so terrified by what he sees that he almost dies the more that i studied this passage of scripture i read it I read it. I read every commentary that I could place my hands on. I read and I read what is it that Jesus saw that caused him to almost die. And I came to the personal conclusion that it's not what he saw, it's what he did not see. Because in verse 39, we see something that happens for the first time that has never happened before. Jesus cries out and says, Father, take this cup from me. But at that moment, the heavens silent. The pressure. The stress. And then he goes back to the disciples. 
looking for emotional support. But yeah, they're sleeping. I don't know who this is for, but remember how we started this out? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7, 8, and 9, where Paul says, I'm pressed on every single side, but I am not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I am not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I am not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I am not destroyed. Listen, we have not experienced the type of pressure that Jesus experienced in the garden. We have never experienced the type of pressure that Jesus experienced in the garden. But something that I have learned is that pressure is relative. In other words, what might be a pressure situation for you is not so much of a pressure situation for her. It's relative. For a teenager who's 18 years old who cannot find a date to the prom, that seems like Gethsemane to them. They feel the pressure of life because they can't find, they feel like they want to die because nobody will go with them to the prom. But yet you don't have sympathy for their pressure because you've graduated to another pressure. You've graduated to the pressure of paying bills. You've graduated to the pressure of raising a family. You've graduated to the pressure of trying to be good on the job and all of that pressure. You tend to minimize their pressure, but yet their pressure is affecting them just as much as your pressure is affecting you. And we lose the ability to have sympathy because we've graduated to a whole nother level of pressure. When we should be able to sympathize with them because you can remember back to the time when you were 18 and you didn't have nobody taking you to the prom and all you were doing was singing Celine Dion, my heart will go on. Because you felt like you were on the Titanic, sinking. Near, far, wherever you are. <laughs> Let me get my boys back here. I don't know how I even did that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know it's true. You know it's true. Oh, never mind. Never mind. That's another one. Okay. So, 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 where was that? Paul, Paul, Paul said, he's telling us about this, this pressure that's in life. We're pressed on every single side. But he also tells us that there's this power inside of this pot that comes from God, us knowing God. And because we have this power inside of this pot, when the pressing comes, we can overcome what is pressing against us. Somebody say press through. Listen, when you're preaching Years ago, I'll say it this way. Years ago, man, I just felt a lot of pressure when I stood up on the stage to preach. Still, in some ways, I, I, I still do. But especially if I was preaching and I'm preaching my guts out. And I'm like, whoo, yeah, I'm just giving you something. I'm thinking, whoo, that's good. And all of a sudden, it's like, quiet. So I move over to another side and I start preaching my guts out again. And I'm just, you know, just giving it all I can give. And it's just quiet. And so I move on over here and I'm preaching and it's just quiet. If you've been here for a long time, you may remember. And I, I would say something like, hello. And it would be like, hello, 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 hello. 
And so finally I said, man, I can't deal with this pressure. So I, I, I went to my staff and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit on the front row. And every time I say something that you believe is good, that God gave you, put in your spirit, you, I want you to shout back at me. I want you to shout back at me because I don't want to feel like I'm all alone in my pressure. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever felt like you were all alone in your pressure? You see, some of you are thinking, well, hold on a second. We don't have to shout back because that's just what he does. He makes that look easy. But what you don't see on the inside is all the doubt that I'm dealing with trying to give you what God gave to me. Some of you don't realize that all the people that are around you need to be encouraged. But you're like, well, he seems to have it all together. She's always smiling. That's just what they do when they need to be encouraged by what God has placed inside of you because they're trying to press through. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm pressed on, I'm pressed, I'm pressed on every side. I'm pressed on the inside. Paul was like, it may not look like it, but I'm pressed on the inside. Coming from every side. I don't know who this is for, but God gave this to me then, and I'm giving it to you now. You know, that was the pressure of performance that I was operating under. And Jesus took all the pressure at the Garden of Gethsemane so that I wouldn't have to live under the pressure of performance because it's not my ability to pontificate. It's God's Word that brings change to your life. So what God is telling me is that all I have to do is hang on because His grace is more than enough if I'll just use His grace to press on through. He'll enable me to overcome what is pressing against me. Jesus is saying, Father, 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 take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, this cup of, of judgment, this, this crucifixion, this, this cup of, of, of judgment. Take this cup from, from me, the the judgment that I'll face for the sins of humanity. Take this cup from me. What you need to understand is that the victory of Calvary only took place because Jesus was willing to press through the pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it were not for his willingness to pray in the Garden and to press through, there would not have been a Calvary. What you need to understand is the victory of Calvary was won through prayer in Gethsemane. I, I wrote it this way. The struggle of the cross was first won in prayer at Gethsemane. The pressure of the cross was defeated by his pressing through in Gethsemane, the place of the pressing. Let me read something else to you as we continue on. Verses 41 through 44, it says this. It says, watch and pray. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away and once more prayed. And the third time saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
Hold on a second. He says, the hour has come. He hearkens back to the very first opportunity. If you'll follow the ministry of Jesus, you'll see when Mary, his mother, came up to him at the wedding at Canaan. She said, Jesus, they're, they're out of wine. He said, woman, what do you want me to do about it? I don't suggest that you call your mom a woman. Jesus got away with it. Woman, what do you want me to do about it? And then he said, the hour has not come. This is the first time that Jesus says the hour has come. Can I continue to read something? So can I, can I take like five more minutes? Is that okay? I'm going to anyway. I don't even know why I ask. I just try to make you feel like you're a part of this. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged to signal with them, the one that I kiss is the man that you should arrest. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Listen, so many people think that Jesus stood out so much so that he was easily recognizable. But this verse contradicts that because it says that, that Judas said, listen, let me, let me kiss the one that you need to arrest so that you make sure you don't arrest the wrong person. Who's really thankful for this kiss would be Thomas because they said they called Thomas the twin because he looked so much like Jesus. So Thomas is like, whoa, but don't kiss me. I'm the wrong one. That's Jesus over there. I just had to add some comic relief. But Jesus said, do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him with that one of Jesus' companions. We know this companion to be Peter. Reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. He said, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen? in this way hold on a second because this is where it gets good here's Peter when they come to arrest Jesus Peter thinks listen Peter's not fully understanding who Jesus is yet he thinks that there's still a chance that this is a political uprising so Peter's like no no Jesus is my homie and he reaches for the sword he grabs the sword and he swings the sword, and when he does, he cuts off Malchus's ear, and it falls to the ground. And Jesus says, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Jesus reaches down, and he grabs the ear, blows it off, puts it back on Malchus's ear, on his head. And he's like, oh, man, what in the world just happened? And Then he looks at Peter, and he said, hold on, man. Do you think that, that I could not call 12 legions of angels? To give you some context, a legion is 5,000 soldiers. He's saying, do you think I could not have called 60,000 angels? Just to give you some context as to how powerful an angel is, at the last judgment in the book of Revelation, it says it only takes four angels to destroy every army on earth. 
And he says, do you not think that I could have called 12 legions of angels? Do you not think? He said, Peter, I am not dying because I cannot overcome this pressure. I'm dying so the pressure of sin will not overcome you. Peter, you are not fighting for me. I'm fighting for you. Peter, you don't have to raise the sword because I'm willing to die by the sword. Peter, I'm taking this cup of judgment so that you don't have to. Peter, I'm taking this cup so that you can overcome a lesser pressure. Peter, I'm taking this cup so that you can experience another cup. That cup that harkens back to David when he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside of quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for his rod and his staff. They comfort me. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He causes my head to be anointed and he causes my cup to overflow. If anybody in this place wants your cup to overflow, then give God a praise. Good Lord have mercy. So think about this. Peter, I'm doing this. Stay on your feet. I'm going to close. You're not fighting for me. I'm fighting for you. So remember when the pressure of life comes against you, the pressure of raising kids, the pressure of your job, the pressure of of trying to find a job, the pressure of your marriage, the pressure of, of paying bills, the pressure of this, the pressure of that. All you need to do is remember that you are not abandoned because he was willing to be abandoned by the Most High God so that you would never have to feel that abandonment. He's saying to you, all you have to do is remember that you're the pot and he is the power you may be pressed but you are not crushed you may be perplexed but you are not in despair you may be persecuted but you are not abandoned you may be struck down but you are not destroyed you may feel weak but he is strong you may feel hopeless but he is your hope you may feel poor but he is rich is somebody gonna help me press through press through press through somebody shout press through everybody on your feet somebody's about to receive a breakthrough in this place for that person who said I can't make it another step I can't take this Jesus took more so that you would know how to overcome less. Press through. Press through. You don't know which house to buy. You can't afford a house. Press through. Your family's driving you crazy. Press through. Your job seems to be a dead end. Press through. You feel the insecurity of not being good enough. 
feel a sickness that seems to overwhelm you at times and nobody knows what it is, press through. You're discouraged, press through. You're depressed, press through. Because you are pressed, not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but never abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because inside of this jar of clay, this ordinary pot is a power that comes from the Most High. God, all I have to remember is I'm the pot, He's the power. Mm. With every head bowed and every eye closed.